Welcome to the CSRG Podcast. Sorry we're a day late on this one, but today Keanu is going to talk about shot calling and sight tracking. I think you know how to call your shots, you just can't pull the trigger. Maybe a little bit of both, who knows, but it's a, it's a tough skill. It's something that everybody's got to kind of learn to do to get to that next level, but it's it's a tough one. So we're going to talk about it a little bit and you know, well, kind of go through. I don't even think it's, a, it's one of those skills to get to the next level. I think it's one of those skills you need to be just like a half-decent shooter. Well, no, you can get away with it without being good at it or without even That's because you shoot open. At it. You've never shot a gun with iron sights, or you haven't for like the last one. Yeah, and I was a garbage C-class shooter, and I did not. I don't know how to sight, you know, sight track or. Okay, but aren't you still a shots. garbage C shooter in spirit, bro? Come on, <laughs> bro. But yeah, no, we're gonna talk about it. Um, again, if you're serious about the sport, if you're serious about shooting, um, it's something you've got to learn. Uh, and I don't know if we even have any tips and tricks on how to do it, but. Um, you know, like, I guess let's talk about sight tracking first, right? Because I feel like you need to be good at sight tracking in order to call your shot because if you're not tracking your sights, you won't know where your shots are going. Well, right? I think sight tracking really starts with calling the shot. Oh. Um, so, like, the moment oh. the shot breaks, right, and that and that gun, you, you start feeling the recoil, the gun starts cycling. And, you know, that's all that's all after the bullet leaves the barrel. Right, so the sight tracking to me really kind of starts the moment you press the trigger, um, and I know shot. I kind of meld them together, like in my mind, right. So when you press the trigger, you're watching the sights. Kind of when you're tracking the sights in, um, I guess when they're static, that's more or less a shot calling. Like when the shot breaks and you're watching the front sight move. If you you look for an up and down movement, you look for. Uh, any anything side to side, right? Yeah. So uh, that to me is kind of where the shot calling begins, and that, or I'm sorry, sight tracking begins. Um, and and like I said, like it for me, it really, it it really starts with the um, movement of the sights, like yeah, whether uh, or not you've actually um, broken the shot yet, or if you're just in the middle of the trigger press. So then I guess if we think about it from the sequence, right? So I guess it's sight picture first, then it's trigger pull. And then from there you call your shot and then you track your sights. Yeah. Right. From and really all that's happening in a split second. Yeah, it's a very short amount of time. Right. So any good shooter is going to be able to call their shot almost instantaneously. So the moment, um, I know Chris, you Chris, I'm pretty sure you can, because um, I know you know when you fudge your shots, you just don't care sometimes. Yeah, and I, and I, I do too. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are definitely times that I tell. So it's not necessarily. It's kind of funny though, the way that I think about shot calling isn't necessarily about whether my shot went where I think or where I think it went or where I intended it to go. It's actually when I, I am actually realizing when my shot is doing something weird, if that makes sense. So I know when my shot isn't good. It's like when you break the shot, right? Yeah. So it's, I'm not necessarily calling a shot good. I call all my shots bad, if that makes sense from a thought process perspective. Yeah. So I do the opposite. I don't call my shots bad. Uh huh. I call them good. And if they're good, they're good. I leave them. Yeah. Um, but that really all happens. And, you know, all the good shooters will, will be able to tell the moment they press the trigger that it's going to be a good or bad shot. They don't even need to look at the target. They don't need to think about the target. They know, judging by where their sight picture is, um, where they are on the target, um, and how their trigger press was, they, they're going to know almost exactly where the trigger is going to go. Or, I'm sorry, where the shot's going to go. And Tim Heron has a really, really good video on this of him at a class demo where he turns and draws. Um, and he puts in like th like three or four shots in the head or something like that, or like maybe five. And he tells you exactly where they land. 
just not solely <laughs> based on the sight trigger and sight picture and trigger press. Yeah, and then I guess let's break it down for shot calling, right? The first thing that comes to mind is trigger prep, or not just trigger prep, but the actual press, right? Yeah. So in order to be good at shot calling, you've got to know what your trigger finger is doing and what it's doing to the sights when you pull the trigger. Yep. Um, but then that also ties into sight picture. You got to know what your sight picture looks like. Yep. Uh, for dots, it's a lot easier. For iron sights, you know, for some people it's easy. For me, it's not. Um, That's just because you've never really practiced. Yeah, doing it. and you know, I'm pretty sure if I'm if I'm doing a slow fire, right? Yeah. You know, stationary slow fire. It's you know, it's but not. Dude, too I've seen I've seen you shoot my limited gun. You can shoot it fine. It's it's a discipline. You just thing, can't though. grip the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna argue with that tonight. <laughs> um, but then I think one of the, the hardest thing for shot calling, especially for a lot of new shooters, that they don't actually realize that they're closing their eyes on trigger pull. I've never had that problem. Um, I, I definitely did at first. Like that's why shot calling was was kind of difficult for me at first. Was especially because um, subconsciously I was blinking on trigger break, um, and then it actually took a little bit of training and discipline on my end to keep my eyes open throughout the entirety of a you know a shot breaking, and then sure. the sight tracking, and then the gun resetting. Um, but you know it's something. Take a video and see what you're doing. Like if you're having trouble calling your shots, you should. See if you're actually closing your eyes or not, because if you want to call your shot good on trigger prep, you've got to have your eyes open. You've got to see what your sights are doing, and you've got to see what your sights are doing right before the break. And if you're anticipating that blast or the concussion, and you're closing your eyes, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. No well, if you're anticipating the concussion, I can already say now you're probably going to anticipate the shot on the trigger press. You're you're going to yank the shot low. Yeah, and that's a really really common thing. A lot of people just anticipate the recoil, so they start to break their wrist, um, or they they kind of like tense their wrist and then push it push it down to try and preemptively counter the recoil and that's exactly what you don't want to do and when you hear people say stuff like you want the shot to surprise you they're kind of right with that um i, I think <coughs> oh, <Mimi. laughs> oh what a dog um, well hopefully that doesn't pick it up too bad <laughs> what a weird dog um let's hope nobody's gonna rob us <laughs> <laughs> i got a but, gun right here yeah, we, we've got a few. Um, so anyway, where were we? Um, talking about, you know, the anticipating the... Hang on. Can you close the door? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're essentially talking about anticipating the recoil, right? Um, and flinching from that. Should we cut that out? Uh, I don't know if we can. Um, we'll, we'll see what we can do later. But um, <laughs> talking about... Or we'll do a technical difficulty thing, whatever. Um, All right. So... Talking about flinching on recoil, anticipating the right. shot. I remember, yeah. So a lot of people say that you want to you want the shot to surprise you when it breaks, and that's partially true, partially false. I think when it comes to anticipating the recoil, you definitely want the shot to surprise you. Um, not not that when you're you know when you're shooting a gun, you you should know how it's like when it's going to go off. You should know the trigger characteristics and everything like, like that, especially in action shooting when you're running around with a loaded gun. Yeah, and I, I really feel like that whole you know let the shot surprise you on the break. Um, that's really for new shooters and working on accuracy, right? Right, um, right. And, you know, working on the fundamental of the actual, you know, sight picture and trigger pull. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, um, even to, to this day, if I'm shooting, you know, a non even with my open gun, um, there will be times where I will flinch. And that's usually when I get bad shots. Um, yeah. But, you know, having trained myself to keep my eyes open through most of the, the actual shooting process... It's really easy to tell when you flinch because, yeah. you know, if you're watching your sights or, you know, you're watching your dot, you're watching your front sight, 
Um, right before the trigger pull, you'll pull a bad shot, and that's when you go, okay, that wasn't a good shot. Yeah, and um, it's a really cool effect, too, when you get really good at it. Or, like, when, when you get decent at it and you learn to be able to call your shots, the moment you press the trigger, it kind of goes into, like, slow-mo mode, and you can see the sights do every little thing. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and... Um, Not that, that we're super-powered or anything. No, but. no, but I think this this comes down to, you know, knowing what to look for, right? Being trained to look for the right things. Right. Um and then, you know, and, and then I think this goes to, you know, sight tracking afterwards, right? After you get good at trigger pull, if you're used to knowing what you need to look for when the shot breaks, then comes the next process, which is going to be tracking your sight. Um, and then at first, it's going to be really fast. You're not going to be able to see what your sights are doing because you don't necessarily know what to look for. And you're also not necessarily um, anticipating the timing correctly. And even your grip might be inconsistent, which makes it even yeah. harder to track your sights. I find a lot of people, instead of tracking their sights through recoil, um, which isn't, that, like, that's not a necessity. You don't have to do that. As long as you can see your sights going from and to and from zero, that's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? But you see a lot of people take one shot. They, they do one of two things. They, they take one shot slow, and then they look at the target, like, kind of for, like, a half second, and they split the second shot. Or you see people, instead of tracking their sights, they do the exact opposite and just have one sight picture and they double tap. Yeah, and you know, I think that's, that's almost a, uh, the name double tap is almost a disservice to, you know. Yeah, it is. Shooting, like, right? because but, but we all know there are times when you should be, when it's acceptable to split two shots with one sight picture, whether iron sight or open. Yeah. Or um, iron sights or optics, but, but, um. But, it, but it's a learn, like, there's a sequence to it, right? I right, mean, yeah. It, it comes, you know, when we talk about grip pressure, we talk about return to zero. Um, you know, it's, it's an instinctive thing where, you know, with that one sight picture, you know your grip is good. You rip that first shot. You know what the gun's going to do. So you can, you know, double tap, essentially. But what it really is, it's a controlled pair, right? And, you, you know, either you're point shooting that controlled pair or you're tracking the sights for it. Well, it's not necessarily. So to me, controlled pairs are... You're kind of you're more or less ripping the gun as fast as you can, but you're not trying to outpace the sights. Exactly. When you're yeah. trying to double tap, you are absolutely trying to outpace the sights. Like you, you try and do like a one-two split with a limited gun, you're not going to see the sight. You're not going to see the front sight True. on that second okay, shot, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. you don't care. You know, and when you're shooting targets from five, three or three to five yards away, that's acceptable. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It's an issue when a lot of people think the solution is to go faster. Um, on the splits and not anything else, they end up double tapping a target like partials and and targets out to like you know 15, 20 yards, and then that's exactly how you end up with like ten mics in a stage. Mics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. You brought up the uh, the whole you know looking at the target after you shoot. You know this is especially for iron sights, right? Because yeah. and this is really important for shot calling. It it really is because uh, well important for shot calling, but also important for sight tracking, right? The reason why shot calling is important for that is because it wastes a lot of time. If you think about how long it takes for your eyes to focus on something close to far, back to close, it's kind of tough. It's also taxing on the eyes. So if you're, you know, let's say 10 yards, you break your shot, you lose your focus on your front sight, and you look at the target, you've got to then find your front sight again and then refocus on it. It's, you know, if you think about it, it's, let's say it's, you know, two tenths of a second. Sure, yeah. And you're shooting 32 rounds in a course of fire and you're doing that between every shot, you know, it's a lot of time added. Yeah, um, that's an excessive amount of time added. Yeah, and then, you know, your, your hits might be good because you're seeing what your shots are doing and you're making up your shots and whatnot, but again, you're losing a ton of time. Um, when it comes to sight tracking, if you're doing that, this is extremely bad because you're not looking at your sights anymore during recoil. Yep. 
Yeah, um, and if you lose picture of your sights, that you're basically drawing a new sight picture. Even if the gun is up, um, and you're still presented, you're still doing. Um, you're you're still looking for the sights again. You're still, uh, you know, you might as well be presenting the gun again. Yeah, absolutely. And right. like again, it's you're you're no longer tracking your sights, and then you you lose that cadence of you know what good controlled shooting is going to be like. Everything's going to slow down. Your splits are going to slow down. Um, and your your hits, I don't know, your hits might be just as good, but you're losing time. And for our sport, time is really what determines how well you do after your accuracy, right? Yeah. So, Well, again, hit factor scoring, it's it's both. Both are close to equally important. It just depends on how you want to break down the stage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think for, for sight tracking, it, it again, you just need to know what to look for. And I think everyone will eventually come to a, um, a I guess, a eureka moment when they first realize, oh, this is how you do it. Um, yeah. Because again, when, when you think about tracking sights, the, the gun, the slide is moving so fast, it's re- reciprocating so fast. Uh, from a new shooter perspective, it's almost daunting to think, oh, well, I've got to look at the sight and I need to know exactly what it's doing during recoil. Um, but again, it's, it's almost like a timing thing. You just, you, you know what to expect, you know where to be looking. And then before you know it, everything just kind of falls into place. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can track my sights. Yeah. It's, that, that's a pretty good way to put it. Mm. Yeah, it, it is like a... Well, I wouldn't know if it's like a eureka moment or it's just something kind of gradual. Like And like I said, I think it really starts with the shot calling. Once you learn to start calling your shot, you can start learning to track. Mm-hmm. You can start to learn to track the sight better. Yeah, and you know, we talked right. about that sequence, right? Trigger pull, calling shot, and then sight tracking. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, if you don't know what your shots are doing, then you're not going to be looking at your sights. And again, if you... Well, no, let me rephrase that. If you don't know where your shots are going, you're not looking at your sights. And therefore, you can't track well, as well. You can. You can be looking at your sights all you want. and some, But some people just don't don't quite grasp the concept of under, of understanding your hits where they should be within like a certain area. Mm-hmm. Just based off of the little nubs on their gun. Or, with a dot, I think it's a lot easier. And this is why a lot of people are favoring towards carry optics now. Yeah, and uh, open right. It's it's just easier for you to understand what's going on. There's a lot less information going in with iron sights. It's a little bit more to process. It and it, again, I think the it's a much harder process because you know it's multiple planes of focus, right? Um, cause, yeah. Because you're tempted to be looking at the target after you break the shot, so it's kind of inevitable if you're not good at it. Well, it depends on how you're shooting too. If you're doing a target focus, you should be looking at the target, right? Yeah, but I mean, let's let's be real. You know, for your C and B class shooter, how many people are telling them they should be target focusing with iron sights? I think B class shooters could acceptably target focus. I think the the biggest difference from and same with C class shooters. I, th- I think the only difference is 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 the discipline of when to be target focusing. Like it, it's like those fine ocular adjustments in um, in your eye muscles trying to go transition immediately from a target focus to a front sight focus. Um, or vice versa. Yeah, but I mean, oh, and uh, like understanding your shot calling again too, right? So like yeah. with a target focus, you should still be able to call your shot, in my opinion. I guess it's kind of like a skill disparity, though, right? Because I feel like yeah, when, exactly. When, when you're in that C class, though, like your shots aren't going where they're supposed to be going or where you think they're going, and right. so you're you're always telling yourself, okay, front sight focus, front sight focus. I need to know where my shots are going. And, you know, it's just it's all part of the process. Yeah. Um, and because of that, you know, you could be target focusing, focusing as a C class shooter with you know some poor trigger fundamentals. And, yeah. And your shots just won't be going where you where you think they're supposed to be going. And then you start. I guess it's almost like you're not learning anything. The input doesn't match what the cognitive process is doing. Well, on on that actually, yeah. So, um, you you were saying they spend a lot of time 
uh, giving a hard front sight focus, that alone can be hurtful too. Because since, so, yeah. since people get so wrapped up in the sight picture and a perfect sight picture and a perfect sight picture, and then once they get to pressing the trigger, and then like that's when they start anticipating shots. And it makes it really, really easy to do that when you start over-focusing on the front sight. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're no longer able to call your shot. And, um, you know, it's, you're going to result in makeups or mics um, if, if it comes to that. But, but overall, I think Rob Latham has a good video he did with Funker. And he basically said, for newer shooters, aiming is useless. Mm -hmm. Because you tell them to point the gun at the target, and they're going to hit the target like five yards or whatever on a full-size USPSA or silhouette target. All you need to have them worry about is trigger press. Just make sure they can press the trigger straight back and make sure they can grip the gun properly. Yeah. Right? Um, and again, it, it, right for that specifically, it's because most of the time for that skill level, um, like you said, the aiming aiming isn't the deficiency in their in their shooting. It's actually the trigger pull. No, aiming is um, usually the easiest part. Mm -hmm. It's everything else that goes into breaking the shot. Yeah. Right? Because anyone can align two, you know, three little bumps next to each other. Anyone can bring up a dot and put a red dot on a target, you know, 10 yards. Not everyone can press a trigger straight. And that's the issue a lot of shooters struggle with. Yeah. And, you know, this is back to the whole fundamentals of marksmanship, right? Um, right. But then, you know, I again, it's... Like Keenan said, you know, a hard front sight focus constantly can also be detrimental because, right, it's all about um, sensory input and output essentially for us when we're shooting because we need to know, even shot calling, right, you can't necessarily call your shot if all you're doing is focusing on your front sight because you've got to be cognizant of everything else that's happening around the process. It's not just right, the right. front sight. Um, and I, I think if you're good enough and you're used to the gun enough, You'll be able to tell it. You, you'll be able to not necessarily call your shot. But you'll be able to call a bad shot mm -hmm. with a just by feeling the gun. Absolutely. How the gun recoiled and how the gun, and how the shot broke. You'll be able to feel it immediately. It's like like for bowling, for example. I'm really bad at bowling. Me too. I'm not good at bowling, <laughs> but it's easy to tell the moment you release the ball if it's going to be a bad bowl. Because like the time you you can easily tell the timing is off. Something is exactly wrong exactly. You don't need to look at the target. You don't like. I don't need to look at the pins. I don't need to look at the ball itself. Like the like just by the motion of my wrist and by the motion of my arm, I know how it, how the I was going to say shot's going to break, but I know how yeah. the ball's going to release. <laughs> yeah. And the same the same goes with the gun. Like and and a lot of people can feel the flinch too, and they know they're doing it. But it's all, well, it's almost subconscious because to them they're thinking. Well, I don't even know if it's subconscious, but they know they had a good sight picture. Sure. But something bad happened to the shot, so it has to be the trigger pull, right? That's the only thing that that it could be. Yeah. Um, but again, I think I think it requires a certain level of discipline uh, to understand the entire process because you can't solely focus on one because then you'll lose sight of the others and you're not getting the right input to become better at, you know, shot calling, sight tracking, or even trigger pull. Um, it's almost like right, so it's just breaking down down the deficiencies. Then. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I feel like for any type of practice, that's what it comes down to, right? You know, what are you deficient in? Um, what can you do to practice it? But I really feel like a lot of it comes down to live fire. Um, I know a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people will say, you know, you can, you can hit A class, M class. All you need to do is dry fire. That's all I do. Um, <laughs> but, but, you, but you've had enough time behind a gun, right, to understand that dry fire has its skills. But, sure, But you sure. need to confirm what you're doing in dry fire with live fire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was first starting to shoot, I think the only time I live fired was at matches, the first year that I was shooting. Yeah. Um, and I was doing a ton of dry fire at home, focusing on trigger prep, trigger pull, and sight, and like front sight focus, right? And okay. sight picture. 
But when you put it all together, when there's you know the actual bullet being fired, um, there's a lot else that happens that you start to forget about what you're practicing in dry fire if you're not used to what a gun feels like when you're actually shooting it. Um, and so, so I and like you know, for example, sight tracking. You'll never be able to get good at sight tracking if you don't actually practice watching your slide reciprocate and tracking your sights for that process, right? Um, and so I think for me, I, the, the real moment that came for shot calling and sight tracking was through live fire. I don't think, and you know, the, all the dry fire in the world that I did, did not help me with shot calling and sight tracking. Because in dry fire, all I said was, okay, or all I was doing was, okay, I have a good sight picture, now pull the trigger, good, good trigger press. And that was pretty much it. That's where the process ends. Um, so I, you know, I think I think that's just, that's a big part of it. Um, so. Well, so I think I'm a little different from you. I got a lot of my. I still work on most of my fundamentals. Well, so with sight tracking, I agree because you need you need the gun sight, sight track and recoil control. You absolutely need the gun to be actually moving when you're doing this, right? But I think for accuracy, I think it's pretty easy to do, especially when you're. Um, uh, when you're dry firing, it's 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 easy to call the shot and it's easy to you know get that first shot out. And even with like guns like ours, like like, like with the 2011s, mm-hmm. you can kind of just slap the trigger back and forth, and it's pretty close to the same. It's not it's not exact, and like you don't have the break, but you do have the resistance. You still have the slack to to take up. Yeah, on um, it, right. But then but then I guess you know I'll put it in this perspective too though you know because it's essentially a trinity of skills that that come into action shooting right, trigger prep, shot calling sight tracking um, but then if you're not good at sight tracking for example the shot calling and the trigger pull become a lot harder when you're actually shooting a match if you've got shots going back to back because you're you're scrambling to find where find what your sights are doing and then before you know it like a split second before the shot actually breaks you're thinking about all right what are my sights going to do the I next gotta, shot yeah. i gotta find my sights i yeah. gotta follow up on the next shot um and so you know i think it's you know the the live fire is a big part of it because you might be able to get the first two but then those skills fundamentally break down because you're focusing so much on the third during live fire, and so I, you know, I think you know you still need to put down, uh, rounds down range for it to really come together. Oh yeah, I'm, um, I'm not disagreeing, mm-hmm. but I think I think if you do practice trying to press the trigger quickly and at least um, maintain a clean sight picture in your dry fire, I think you'll have less problems doing so in live yeah. fire, mm-hmm. right? Um, just a lot of the issues people have going from dry fire to live fire is in dry fire they know the gun is empty yeah so mm-hmm. they, they know the gun's not going to recoil so it's going to go oh click 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 yeah it's like a psychological thing you know yeah it, um, it's I th- flinching is entirely psychological absolutely yeah yeah right so I, I think practicing pressing the trigger quickly does a lot to help that so like you know dealing with new shooters and stuff when I've had people at the range from college and they would have issues flinching, I would say, try this. I'd put the target at five yards and it would you know, be a big USPSA or IPSC target. And I would say, I want you to point the gun in the middle of the target. I want you to press the, and I want you to grip the gun hard and I want you to shoot the gun as fast as you can. And, and I just tell them, don't care where the sights are, just shoot the tr- gun as fast as you can and keep the gun on the paper. And when they do it, they don't have the problem anymore because they're no longer thinking about it. They're, they're thinking about, I'm going to pull the trigger fast. They're not thinking about, oh, when's the shot going to break? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or where's the shot going? Right? Exactly. Just, yeah. yeah. They're, they're just, you know, they're just mag dumping into the target. Yeah. And it works pretty well just because it kind of helps them clean out the psychological um, 
block of, oh, the shot's going to break, the shot's going to break, now I'm going to anticipate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's kind of funny, though, with new shooters and the whole, you know, mag dump thing, because, you know, that's kind of what, how we also tune our guns. We essentially pull the dr- trigger as fast as we can. Right? You know, when we're looking at springs and what the gun is doing on recoil. Yeah, you and uh, I did a lot of experimenting with that mm-hmm. when I was respringing my gun. Yeah, and you know, the, the process is, right, is just shoot the gun as fast as possible and see what the gun is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny though, the whole sight tracking thing, and you know, you mentioned in dry fire, you know, practicing pulling trigger fast. Um, <laughs> when, I, when, I was, when I shot the XDM with the, oh, gosh. the burst on it. Oh gosh. Um, again, another reason why I think live fire is really important, especially if you're changing the platform or the division that you're shooting but is, but is, the XDM is the exact same gun as your 2011 but, but, it's just a striker fired 2011 but, but it right? doesn't it doesn't have a compensator it's you know not as heavy um but but you almost get used to the cadence of how the recoil is supposed to feel like yeah absolutely yeah you right? really do and so you know live fire is especially important for that especially if you're changing divisions or changing platforms is because the the timing changes and as much as you can do in dry fire to you know you know have a good trigger pull and whatnot uh, you do need to fine tune that that cadence of the actual recoil of the gun, or else you'll be shooting the uh, what is it the the barrier on top of the target because oh gosh yeah um, you know because I was pulling the trigger too fast on that gun because I you know I thought you I was weren't used open. to the recoil characteristics so you yeah. weren't tracking the sight that's what you're saying you were yeah. not tracking the sight I, I was not yeah and you know especially yeah. because you know from a muscle memory perspective after that first shot um, the sight should have you know had a little small jump in the window. But what it did is it disappeared and then came back to the top of the window. And that's when I broke the shot. You know, the the, yeah. time, the timing was just off. So Well, your gun cycles like 10 times faster. Your open gun cycles like 10 times faster than the stupid freaking <laughs> XDM. So. Yeah, it's, it cycles a lot faster. Yeah. And, you know, but, like, but, you know, when you and I were playing with my gun when I resprung it, um, and for those of you who don't know, I kind of follow Tim Heron's spring, spring logic. So I use a 23-pound mainspring to slow the unlock time, and then I use a 14-pound recoil spring to kind of snap the gun back. So the gun is snappier than as if you were to shoot it with a 12 pound spring or an 11 pound spring, which is really common and limited. But the the gun tracks almost impeccably. So, and, and we did this, you know, at the range. So we take, we do build drills from anywhere from, you know, like seven to 25 yards, just trying to see how the sights tracked. And, um, you know, when it's close, close to far, you have to do all of them to kind of see, um, especially, when you're in USPSA and, and you can see targets anywhere from not even 25 yards, like 35 yards, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are classifiers with, with targets that far. Um, it's, it's important to, to see how the gun reacts at close range and, and, you know, further out. And, and we found with the way I have my gun sprung, the gun, it's snappier. Like it, it definitely, you definitely feel and see a little bit more muzzle rise, especially with a 165 grain ammo I'm shooting. Yeah, I'd say that's the big caveat for your spring weight is you are shooting higher power, power factor ammo, you're shooting a lighter bullet going at a faster velocity than most people shooting, you know, 180 grain bullets at 170 power factor with a 12 pound spring. Sure, yeah, and you definitely um, feel the difference, but with the weight, with the snappiness, I wouldn't spring the gun this heavy if I was um, shooting a 180 or 200, but you, you definitely see the sight you can't it's for me it was it's kind of hard to track it through recoil but you definitely see it come up and down i don't really care what it's doing in recoil i only care that it's coming exactly back to where i aimed and it does that almost impeccably yeah and and you know it's funny that we you know we talked about this too in a, a lot of other you know podcasts about you know springing the gun to make it snappier right to get the gun to return to zero faster right because essentially what happens is that once you start tracking your sights 
that's when Keanu, you know, Keanu mentioned everything going in slow mo because if eventually when you see what your sights are doing, you're like, oh my god, why is it taking so long to get back to where I want it to be? Yep, and you um, end up having to muscle the gun back to zero, and then so. The logic there is, why would I do the work when the gun can do the work for me? Yeah, and a lot of people still like, you know, especially in minor, people still like shooting 147 grains. Sure. But, but I'm not a fan because, um, yeah, I probably can't outshoot 147 grain with the way that the sights track and, you know, the way that the gun well, returns maybe, to zero. Maybe not the sights track, the way the gun cycles. For, I don't think you can outshoot the way the gun cycles, but you can definitely see the difference in the sight picture, right? Yeah, it, it becomes a psychological thing too, because now it feels like you're waiting, and then you get impatient, and then you start doing really dumb things, you know, when you get impatient with your shooting. But I think, you know, once you start learning, you know, how you're supposed to, you know, track your sights, and once you start to really see it happen, I think that's when most people will want a faster recoiling gun, they'll want to snap your gun, um, and you know, people will move away from the heavier bullets and the slower velocities because they want the gun to just be faster so that you know they they don't have to wait for the gun essentially yeah. from a you know a visual perspective yeah and but you still see a lot of high level shooters still use lighter sprung guns i mean it, it just makes the gun a little bit more pleasant to shoot um and it, it makes it a little bit more forgiving for um any any sort of little mess ups in grip or whatever and you, I definitely see that when I'm shooting strong hand weekend. I have to put so much more effort into into how I'm consciously gripping the gun, as opposed to um, as opposed to when I was shooting a lighter spring, the gun would kind of still return a little high. Mm -hmm. But now, if I'm shooting with a 14 pound spring and the 23 pound spring, shooting you know 175 power factor, 165 grain ammo, you definitely see the difference in in how the muzzle is going to dip. Yeah, and you know that's a good point. And you know, there's there's trade-offs to doing both. But I think that Chris Tilly uses really light springs in his guns, right? Yeah, he was talking to me. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not you, Siri. Come on. Oh, my my watch thought uh, Chris Tilly's crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and then I, everyone will find you know what what works for them. Yeah. Right. When it comes to spring your gun to. So not not just spring your gun, but you know, with your ammo as well, to facilitate better sight tracking for you yeah. in particular. Well, you do the same thing with open guns too. The only difference is you you see it less so with spring playing with springs. You see a lot of it playing with powder and yep. seating length. Yeah. Um, just just because how gassy the powder is or how fast the powder is, it's all going to affect the characteristics of how the dot tracks. Absolutely. And, and it's crazy how it does that. Like every little minute detail that goes into the load is going to affect the gun yeah and you know the the, it's probably the, the thing i hate most about shooting open is the the whole ammo perspective of it but i'm, I'm sitting in a place where the powder is you know good enough but de definitely you know the consistency of the powder burn and the pressure that it gets created is what makes your comp work and then especially when you're shooting a frame mounted dot on a gun that really doesn't recoil too much from a from you know an up and down perspective you'll really see the unevenness of the compensator working when your red dot is essentially recoiling from, let's yeah, say, three... Talk, talk about that and how you switch powders, and, and why don't you explain how, how that works? Yeah, no, so I was using Winchester Auto Comp at first, and it's a, really, it's, it's a great powder to get started because the, the amount of powder you need is a lot less. It's a lot less intimidating than cramming nine, you know, eight to nine grains of powder into a nine millimeter case. But one thing that you notice with Winchester Auto Comp, um, you know, and it's... It's just the way that the powder is, but when you're when you have a good grip and you break that shot and you're tracking the dot, 
it almost tracks to like 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. before it comes back to zero, which is a really weird recoil impulse if you think about how you know a gun should track, right? Ideally, it's just straight up and down. Well, I think um, autocomp's a little fast too for an open gun, isn't it? It is, and I think that's why you you don't need as much powder, right, to hit the velocities that sure. you need. Um, but but I, I guess it's the pressure curve that that the powder kind of creates that just puts weird that puts weird pressure on the comps, right? Yeah, and and the you know it'd be more acceptable if it was a consistent characteristic. Yeah, but it it isn't necessarily consistent, yeah. um, and it's something that you probably won't notice or it may not even hold you back until you hit a certain point where again this is a visual patience thing right because technically the gun will still return back to zero um but it's it, it doesn't doing so violently it will not not only violently it does it in a way where you know i think david wampler and i were talking about this at some point um you know because the, the gun will essentially lock back up to shoot before the dot actually returns to zero for a lot of open guns and so what David was explaining was um, with some of the better powders where they track straight up and down consistently, you can break your second shot before the gun actually returns to zero almost from a visual perspective. Sure. And so if you're, you know, if you're throwing controlled pairs or something out at you know, 25 yards or whatever, you have more flexibility if you can break the shot knowing that when the dot's coming back down, you can break the shot and have it consistent within you know, uh, an up and down perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. if you're shooting auto comp, the gun might recoil to the, over the you know left shoulder of the target and then come back down to the right. You know. Yeah, I found season. that I found that with the gun um, when I was shooting your gun, you know, several months ago, you definitely see the gun return to zero a little bit more like with the same grip, mm -hmm. right? You, you definitely see the gun return to zero a little bit more violently um, than than with the, you shoot what a seven now uh, silhouette silhouette. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, with the silhouette, whatever with the powder you're using now. The gun definitely tracks a lot more evenly and it seems to track a lot more consistently um and i don't think that's because so like with with limited guns with guns that aren't comped or ported i think you'll see less of an effect on this just because you're only the only thing that's really spitting gas out the muzzle mm -hmm. right so so you don't really need to worry so much about the recoil curve um, or the, the the burn rate um, as much it might affect the recoil characteristics it might affect the cycling time a little bit but i don't think it would affect the the, the actual um, motion of the of the gun largely, right? Yeah, and you know I th I think it's also again like you said the limited guns aren't compensated and um, you know if if you're thinking about good sight picture perspective, you need to wait for the sight to come back down, right? Sure, and, and that's wasting time. Yeah, um, but but not only is it a waste of time, but you know that that minute difference also between how it might recoil, you know, because it might be recoiling at one to two o'clock versus you know straight up to twelve. But you may not notice it as much in a limited gun because you still need to have a good sight picture, essentially. Because I think it'd be yeah. very hard for even you know the top level shooter to be able to call a shot as the gun's returning back to zero and it's locked up to call that second shot. I, don't, I think that'd be very difficult with iron sights. Yeah, and this is a, like going back to open guns. This is really the big benefit of thirty eight super comp because yeah. you and I, Kevin's been in our podcast before. We shot Kevin's thirty eight super comp Atlas, and holy smokes. It's a, it's a different experience from it's, nine major. So when people say flat shooting, this gun was legitimately flat shooting. The dot tracked almost impeccably. It never even left halfway through the window. Yeah, so it wouldn't even make it to 12 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, it, it went up a little bit and it went slammed right back into battery. And it, was, it wasn't violent at all. It was, you know, you felt the power behind it. Mm -hmm. But you don't see it in the dot. 
and it's yeah. great because it's not as high pressure as nine millimeter but holy smokes well, well not only is it not as high pressure right you know the biggest advantage to 38 super comp is brass conformity and consistency right because most people are probably shooting starline right they order a batch of starline they shoot it, they continue to pick it up, and they continue reloading Starline brass. Yeah, but the brass volume has a big impact on it too. It does, right? but but you know, let's say I'm pretty sure you can find that consistency. It may be more violent nine nine major, but I'm pretty sure you can find a similar consistency if you're shooting the same type of brass for all for Maybe. all of your shooting. Um, because you know, if you even if you look at case height, for example, at nine millimeter. There's like, a lot of variation. Yeah, like the because well, a lot of the once fired brass you buy probably isn't once fired. Well, not only, like, you can look at, you know, even OEM ammo coming out of factories from different brass, and the height of the brass is just different. And, like, it's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to, you know, shooting, right? But it's, it, you're going to have a well, different no, it pressure it is a threshold. bad thing because you want the gun to lock up. You do, but, you know, but, but when, when it comes to, like, you know, feeding and reliability, for example. Oh, as long as it doesn't affect the function. Yeah, the, like, matter. your OAL stays the same regardless yeah. of the brass, right? Because the bullet's probably what's preventing your gun for your ammo from chambering well, anyway. This is an interesting thing. You should try this. You should buy some Starline 9 brass. Bro, I just... Okay, I'll buy you 100 pieces of Starline yeah, brass, uh, load it exactly the same as you would your mixed brass, and see how it shoots. Yeah. I, I, like, think it, I will give you two magazines. We'll blind test it. I think it would be an interesting thing to we'll do. We'll do a single blind test, and yeah. we'll, we'll come back to you guys on it. But, like, you know, this is the big thing about long-range shooting, too, right? They do the whole case volume measurement and stuff, and it's, it's a brass conformity issue. Um, sure, yeah. But, but I will say probably 9 Major will never track as flat as 38 Supercom because of the, the difference in pressure. But I'm, I'm pretty sure the consistency for 38 Supercom is largely due to the fact that you're kind of tied to one, one type of brass. I, don't, I, think, I think the difference you might be seeing is the difference from using commercial brass to military brass. Because it's military brass possible, is a yeah. lot thicker. It has a thicker case head and it's got a thicker case wall. Um, because not military brass, military ammo is generally a higher pressure and a lot of it is loaded. Like the U.S. still... Um, they adopted basically subgun ammo for Berettas. Yeah, because so, it's a it's a logistics thing. It's better to have one type of ammo for everything. Well, yeah, that. But then you see how much five five six we use and like all the different kinds of yeah. military ammo we have, and you question it. But it's a money thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, money. Um, and, and no one logistics. cares about sidearms anyway. So yeah, um, but but yeah. So I I bet if if we gave you military brass and we gave you commercial brass and we gave you Starline brass. And you shot each one, um, like the exact same. So, like, let's say, like Winchester military brass or, mm -hmm. or Lake City military brass. You shot, you shot that. Shoot, shot mixed brass, and you shot Starline brass. I bet the military brass and the Starline brass. I bet you'd see them from shot to shot. I bet you'd see them track pretty similarly. Yeah, I, I would. I'd probably agree with that. Uh, but you know, even let's say talk about let's say you know commercial brass as well. Um, you know, if you're, there's a variation in that too. Yeah, but if you're collecting, you know, one particular head stamp, it's you'll probably get a more consistent return, to, or you'll get a more consistent dot movement than if you're just, you know, completely mixed. Yeah, I really want to try like to. We should waste our time sometime and just pick out brass and just sort it. Yeah, and then we'll load it, or we'll just go to Walmart and shoot a bunch of different kinds of brass. Yeah, and just pick, and then, yeah, and then shoot a bit. This isn't. That's an interesting thought. I, I never thought about. I, mean, I have. From like a safety and construction perspective, I've never thought about it from a sight tracking perspective in in terms of, uh, in terms of brass use. Yeah, and you know, probably, brass variation. Probably for iron sights, it doesn't matter as much, just because you know the visual input you get from it. I think is just it's just harder 
Well, yeah, because there's so much more going on. Yeah, right? um, but I, I definitely think you'll probably see one, and I think it'll be a fun thing to do. But um, yeah, we should do this. Like this, this, this actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely explore, and we'll you know who knows. This might be the birth of the CSRG YouTube channel or whatever. Um, but oh gosh, that's gonna <laughs> go over very poorly. Yeah. But We're you know, drink beer and shoot guns. <laughs> hey, we still have to show us drinking beer before we shoot the guns. Um, but you know, talking about red dots, I think from a you know shot calling, sight tracking perspective, I think it's a helpful experience for newer shooters. Um, yeah. Again, you just get more visual input, and you know, most people will say, "Oh, you know, being a you know shooting a dot will make you a better shooter." I don't necessarily agree with that because you've got to be focusing on the right things to build the right skills while you do it. Um, but definitely for sight tracking, you'll you'll kind of see what the gun does, and you'll you'll kind of understand the timing of it and the characteristics of what a gun does in recoil to track sight. I think in I think in that perspective, you might benefit. I think people will benefit more from learning on a dot over iron sights because it's a single focal plane, mm -hmm. and there's only one object you're looking for. Really, um, well, you're not really focusing on a dot, but you're that that is the only aiming device you're looking for, as opposed to. Um, as opposed to having target front sight rear sight yeah and right? you know so you can pay attention to the recoil characteristics the, the sight tracking characteristics a lot more yeah um, which i like to bash on carrier optics but carrier optics actually that, that's a good place for that but again you've got to be focusing on the right things because i sure. guarantee yeah. you you know people who just start shooting carrier optics um they, they're probably making the same mistakes that people who start shooting iron sights will make they're, they're gonna try and shoot it like an open gun right well not only that they may not even be looking at you know how is their trigger breaking are they tracking their sights are they calling their shots yeah um, speaking of trigger breaking uh -oh. to all the new shooters do not pin the trigger do not pin the trigger that is dumb if you do it you are dumb Wait, if you what? tell people to do it you're dumb what is pinning the trigger so so remember in like the whole uh the whole timmy movement thing um when timmy's teach people how to shoot they press the trigger right and they pin the trigger they leave the trigger and when the gun cycles they let it reset and then they pull the trigger again oh so like the whole click banging thing that jj yeah. did a video on yeah yeah don't uh -huh. pin the trigger jj does a really really good job breaking this down and a lot of people don't say it enough if you pin the trigger the, the issue a lot of people have in terms of shot calling and and proper trigger press with the um with pinning the trigger is you know they're ready to make their next shot by the time the gun is settled right by the time they have their second sight picture and then they end up releasing the trigger so you're adding one extra motion that's going the opposite direction of how you want ah. to go you mm -hmm. know of how, how of how you want to pull the trigger and by that point a lot of people have already called the shot and then they don't care about the actual trigger press ah, that's the issue because they see the way they break it down is they see the trigger reset and the trigger break as one as one function when it's it's not yeah absolutely not right because the gun is ready the gun's ready to fire why aren't you if mm -hmm. you if you don't do it um I, I, that, that wasn't the right thing to say but you know if if you're not ready that means you're either messing up with the trigger or you've lost the sights yeah uh-huh and but i i feel like this is just a like an incorrect and a lot of people teach it too. Well, yeah. So I feel like it's just like an incorrect crossover from when people first learn to shoot. Because I do think sure. pinning the trigger is a helpful mechanism when you're first learning 
act like marksmanship. Yeah, and there's variation discipline in shooting disciplines too. Yeah, because you know when you're first learning, yeah, you pin the trigger because all right, the gun settled back. All right, now let's you know release the trigger, let it click so that you have the least amount of movement between your, your next trigger. Sure. Points. Yeah. But again, if you're if you're shooting fast, if you're doing action shooting, like there's absolutely no no point of that. Yeah. Um, well, if, you so you have to learn be able to learn to do it properly, right? Because you don't want to kind of create the motion of letting off the trigger while you're still pulling the trigger. And that's how you end up kind of sending the gun flying everywhere. It's, it's slapping that's slapping the trigger essentially. Yeah, it's yeah. slapping the trigger poorly. You want to slap the trigger properly in in that you want to when you're pressing the trigger when you're slapping it backwards, your gun is still on target. Mm -hmm. Your your sights are still aligned and everything. The only difference is instead of doing a clean press, you're just kind of yanking the trigger back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And yeah. again, I'm going to say his name again. Rob Latham is really good at doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and he tells people to slap the trigger and he tells people it's okay to slap the trigger as long as you do it properly. Yeah. Right? And it's just, you can't have the anticipation of letting off the trigger as you're pressing the trigger. Just like how with pinning the trigger, you can't have the anticipation of pressing the trigger when you're letting off the trigger. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a time to let off the trigger. There's a time to press the trigger. And a lot of people kind of tend to meld, meld those things together and ends up throwing a lot of shots off. Yeah, and again, I, I, I do chalk it up again. It's just a crossover of this skill that you learn from the fundamentals that is designed to help you learn the fundamental, but it's not the way that it's designed to be done at high speed. Absolutely. And so, yep. you know, it's... Yep. For if me, you're shooting slow, there's really nothing wrong with pinning the trigger. Absolutely, yeah. But um, again, if you're action a, shooting... Like, yeah. <laughs> if you're shooting USPSA or, or IPSE or even IDPA... Or even 3-gun. <laughs> yeah, or even 3-gun. We don't talk about that here. Oh, sorry. Or IDPA, sorry. but... I, you know what? I messed up already. <laughs> there, there's really no reason why you should be pinning the trigger. Even when you're shooting, like, like I said, shooting slow. I meant like you're standing at the range on a fun day and you're out just like plinking and shooting beer cans or whatever, shooting NRA paper targets, you know, shooting like a normie. Yeah, gross. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what I mean. It's, you know, when you're just kind of chilling, you're not really thinking about anything. But when you're shooting at a very fast pace... The more motion you're putting into your second trigger press is more motion that's going to throw your shot off. Yeah, and it's it's a disruption. Your you know if you're not releasing the trigger properly from there, it's a disruption in your sight picture. You know, it's, it's yep. a cognitive disruption as well. And like I said, a lot of people don't even see it when they do that because they call their shot the moment they let off the trigger. They don't call their shot when they press the trigger. Mm -hmm. If if they do the pin the trigger. So. Yeah, I'm just going to go back to red dots again. I think the you know the one thing you have to realize with red dots and shot calling is that the feedback you get is almost instant because you're target focused. Well, and that's why it's good, uh, right? That's why it's good yeah. to learn in a red but, dot over but, iron sights. But you've got to be cognizant of it because I feel like a lot of people just aren't. Um, and you know, they'll, they'll try shooting red dots for like a week without really understanding the benefits of it and understanding how to use it as an, you know, a training tool. And then before you know it, they're like, oh, this kind of sucks. And then they throw their Glock that's been milled for an optic up for sale. The, the correct reason or the correct thing to do in that case would be to buy an open gun because it's a fixed dot. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Spend the money. Yeah. Shoot major. Don't yeah. even worry about where your shots are going. <laughs> exactly. Because your C zones are just as good as everything else. Until you have to shoot 40 yard poppers, right? Yeah, which is, but that's why I put in that flat trigger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Do you want to talk about that? Do you just want to touch on that real quick about how um, you switch triggers just I mean, because... You, you think it affects how you press it and it, you can see how it does? It definitely does it. Um, my fingers are too short to slap the trigger as fast as I can a short trigger. <laughs> so it's it's a force discipline but thing. But bro, we just talked about how good slapping the trigger is. Well, no, but we talked about what it's like to slap a trigger poorly and slap a trigger well. Oh, 
Oh, and definitely slap it poorly with that short trigger. Well, I'll miss the Chris. You could split like a mf'er. Well, well, that might not be gone. I've been playing with because because uh, Kevin and I were talking in the car and about you on our way to oh, Delaware. No. Oh no! And we were like, yeah, you know what? Chris might like Chris might have some accuracy issues at range, but holy smokes, he can he can shoot a gun as fast as freaking like Lightning McQueen, McQueen can drive. Gotta goof that, man. Yeah, dude, it's. <laughs> It's wild watching you shoot, but then the moment you take it out past 15 yards, it just kind of falls apart. <laughs> and so I'm hoping with this, it'll it'll meld the two together, right? It'll slow down my short shots a little bit, but then it's going to bring a lot of consistency. But, you know, I think with enough time, I'll be able to pull the trigger just as fast on that medium trigger than I can on the short trigger. And even just thinking back when I shot your limited gun on Can You Count... Like, I was throwing some fast splits on that with okay, the Can you gun. count? Is it one yard away? It is, yeah. But but that also shows the physical limitation of pulling the trigger that fast isn't necessarily gone from moving to a medium sure, trigger. Sure, sure. So, we'll, we'll see how it works out. But we're kind of a little bit over. Again. <laughs> yeah. We're, we we're, totally freestyled this, by the way. It's starting to get longer and longer. Um, but again, you know, breaking it down, trigger pull, shot calling, sight tracking. Yeah. And you've got it. You've, you know, it, it's a process between all three and... Um, you've got to work on all three before it all comes together, and then when it does, it's just like holy crap! I it, can see it's honestly my pretty magical. Yeah, yeah. To to be able to see your shots without having to see your shots. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a confidence builder too when you're shooting fast. Absolutely. So, yeah, but again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Sorry we're a day late on this, but uh, and we're like 15 minutes over. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my name is Chris. We've had guest star from Mimi barking at somebody, and we've got Keanu. I'm Keanu. Yeah. So have a good night. Shoot well. We'll see you on the range.